Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Larry Stamm is back exploring the Jewish roots of Christianity and will ask Pastor Larry some Bible questions. Be sure and register for our Fall Virtual Prophecy Conference. Great speakers that are all online. Billy Crone, Michael Hoggard, Bill Federer, Eric Barger, Greg Patton, Larry Stamm, James Collins, Dr. Kenneth Hill, and Larry Spargimino. You can watch all the sessions when you want, as often as you want, from the comfort of your home. Watch anytime between October 29th through November 6th. Register today for our Fall Virtual Prophecy Conference, swrc.com, and click on Conferences, or call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144, or online swrc.com. Staff evangelist James Collins welcomes author and teacher Larry Stamm back to the program as they continue to discuss Larry Stamm's brand new book, Jewish Roots of Christianity. Judaism and Christianity, two spiritual points of view that seem worlds apart, but it hasn't always been that way. The Christian faith is grounded in the same Old Testament scriptures as Judaism. Joining me to talk about the Jewish roots of Christianity is Larry Stamm. Larry is a Jew for Jesus. He has a passion to share Christ and tell the world that Christianity is Jewish. Larry's got a brand new book called Jewish Roots of Christianity, and he's here on the Watchman on the Wall to tell us all about it. Larry, welcome back. Thanks for being on the program with us again. Thanks again for having me, James. It's great to be here. Well, let's get right to it. Let's talk about your book, Jewish Roots of Christianity. What does the title mean? What is Jewish Roots? If you remember, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. We have to ask the question, to fulfill? The law and the prophets was a reference to the Old Testament. So Jesus fulfilled everything that the Old Testament taught about the person and work of Messiah. So, James, Jewish roots is really biblical roots. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Mm -hmm. So Jewish roots is really connecting the dots between the foundation of the Hebrew Scriptures, which point to the person and work of Messiah, and then the fulfillment of those teachings found in the New Covenant Scriptures in the person and work of Jesus Christ, our Messiah and Lord. And so, if you want a metaphor, think about a beautiful tree. You see the trunk, the branches, maybe flowers are blooming, and it's beautiful. But oftentimes we forget the foundation, and without the foundation of that root system, there would be no tree. So our faith in Christ is going to be strengthened, and our understanding of the Gospel also strengthened when we understand the roots of our faith found in the Hebrew Scriptures. And so basically, Jewish Roots of Christianity is a study of biblical Judaism, the religion of the Old Testament, and how we can connect those dots directly to the New Testament. For example, Old Testament sacrifice, Leviticus 17.11, just as one tiny example, God gave Israel the ancient altar of sacrifice. Leviticus 17.11 says, for I've given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. 
And then we know in Hebrews 9.22, the Word of God says in the New Testament that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission, there's no forgiveness of sins. And so in short, that's what the Jewish Roots of Christianity book is all about, and in short, where the title comes from. The subtitle of Jewish Roots of Christianity is A Biblical Survey of Redemptive History from Genesis to Revelation. You write that redemption is the common theme running throughout the Bible. Would you explain that statement? Sure. Remember in the Old Testament, redemption was primarily deliverance out of physical slavery as the Israelites were redeemed out of Egypt. In the New Testament, we find redemption primarily communicated as deliverance from spiritual slavery, namely sin. So as we go through the study in the Jewish Roots of Christianity book, we find redemption from sin all throughout the Word of God. And that word redeem literally means to buy out. It was a term used specifically in reference to the purchase of a slave's freedom, that physical redemption. But the application of the term to Jesus' death on the cross is spiritual in nature. So as person's spiritual condition prior to receiving Jesus by faith is that of a slave, a slave to sin, a spiritual bondage. And this is where God has purchased our freedom from that spiritual bondage through the shed blood of Messiah Jesus as we trust in him. We're no longer in bondage to sin. For example, the Apostle Paul referred to spiritual redemption accomplished by Jesus in Galatians 3.13 when he wrote, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And in Galatians 4, 4, and 5, he wrote, But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. So we can just see briefly upon those words how we find redemption, the concept in both the Old Testament and in the New Testament. The Old Testament primarily redemption found in a spiritual deliverance from bondage, whereas in the New Testament we find redemption primarily in a spiritual sense through the person and work of Jesus. You mentioned the Apostle Paul. In 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle tells us that Jesus rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Since there was no New Testament when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, he obviously referred to the Old Testament. What are some examples of resurrection in the Hebrew Scriptures? In many, many places. For example, David wrote in Psalm 16.10 a Messianic prophecy. He wrote, For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, a reference to death, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Daniel wrote in Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, regarding resurrection, that at the end of days, many who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. For example, Job in Job 19, verses 25 and 26 wrote, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth, and after my skin is destroyed, a reference to death, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. And those are just a few of many examples. We also can find, for example, in the New Testament, the first century Jewish understanding of resurrection. If you remember in John chapter 11, at the raising of Lazarus from the dead, Martha comes to Jesus and says, Lord, if you were here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. And Jesus said, he's going to rise again. And Martha said, Lord, I know he'll resurrect 
at the end of days. Her understanding of resurrection came from the Hebrew Scriptures, and the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 11 writes that Abraham believed in resurrection as well. So it is interesting also the Pharisees believed in resurrection as supernatural. Why? Because the Old Testament Scriptures would have informed them of this reality. Speaking of Messianic prophecy, I love Isaiah 53. 700 years before Jesus went to the cross, Isaiah described it in detail as if he were actually an eyewitness at the foot of the cross. What are your thoughts on Isaiah 53? Many Bible scholars consider Isaiah 53 the fifth gospel Mm -hmm. because it so clearly speaks of the person and work of Messiah. For nowhere else in the Old Testament do we find such a clear picture of the saving work of Messiah. In fact, Isaiah 53 has been instrumental over the centuries and throughout church history in Jewish people coming to faith in Jesus. Isaiah 53, 4 through 6, remember we talked about in the Gospel of Jesus, Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4, he wrote, For I delivered unto you that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and was buried and rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. What Scriptures was Paul referring to? The Old Testament. In Isaiah 53, we find a clear picture of substitutionary atonement. Messiah or Christ died for our sins. We also see a powerful allusion to resurrection. In Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6, we see substitutionary atonement. And by the way, I can remember one time as a missionary in New York City, I was sharing the gospel with an Orthodox Jewish man, and I said, hey, close your eyes. I want to read a passage from the Bible. I want you to tell me if you think it's our Hebrew Scriptures, our Jewish Bible, or it's the New Covenant Scriptures or New Testament. And I read these verses to him, James, Isaiah 53, 4 through 6. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I turned to this Jewish man in his apartment, and I said, well, what do you think? He said, oh, that's your New Testament, that's your Jesus trip, and I said, no, no, no. I showed him the text, James, and he started panicking. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He was getting his Mishnah and the Gemara and the this and the that. He couldn't believe it was in our Jewish Bible. It so clearly refers to the saving work of Messiah. We know him as Jesus. And then there is an allusion, a powerful allusion to resurrection a few verses later, where it says about the suffering servant in Isaiah 53 and verse 9, and they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. And then in verse 10 it says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. You make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And then in verse 11, it says about the suffering servant, after he is dead, that he shall, future tense, he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. And so we have to ask the question, How is it possible the suffering servant is dead, his grave made with the wicked, in verse 9, and then future tense, then he will or shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, 
and he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. How is it possible? Well, the suffering servant was dead, and then he rose again from the dead. Amen. And so there's a powerful picture of the substitutionary atonement and resurrection of Messiah found in Isaiah 53. It's very powerful. If you're just tuning in today, my guest is Larry Stamm, the author of a brand new book, The Jewish Roots of Christianity, and you can get a copy by calling 1-800-652-1144, or you can order online at swrc.com. I told you yesterday that Jewish Roots of Christianity is a very evangelistic book. It's a great book to give a friend who doesn't know the Lord. It's also a great apologetic The gospel is logically, sequentially laid out. It's also a great Bible study. There's a study guide after each chapter. It's a Jewish root study that will help you grow in your relationship with the Lord. It'll help you gain a deeper understanding of the Word of God and better understand and appreciate and help you share and articulate the gospel. Great, great book, Jewish Roots of Christianity, available now at swrc.com. Larry, you point out something in Jewish Roots of Christianity that I'd never thought about before. In your discussion on the Hall of Faith found in Hebrews 11, you point out that Abel, Enoch, and Noah were not Jewish, so they could not have been saved under the law. Would you explain that? Sure. Hebrews 11, the Hall of Faith chapter, it's awesome. They preceded God's covenant with Abraham, if you remember, and they also preceded, obviously, the birth of the nation of Israel when God made that initial covenant with Moses and the Israelites at Mount Sinai. So they were saved by grace through faith, as were all the other saints of old listed in Hebrews 11, such as Joseph, Moses, and Samson. And so in that sense, remember, the law also never saved anybody. It was simply a tutor to lead us to Messiah. So I also point out in the book that Old Testament saints were also saved by grace through faith. If we remember Genesis 15:6, the Word of God says that Abraham believed God, and God reckoned his faith as righteousness. So Paul also argues in Romans chapter 4, justification by faith, and he uses Abraham's faith as an illustration to argue for justification by faith. So I also found that fascinating. I love the Old Testament, and I find it fascinating studying salvation in the Old Testament, which is what we do in part in the Jewish Roots of Christianity book. Larry, you and I both believe that God is not finished with Israel. What is replacement theology, and why is it so wrong? Again, huge topic, but very important, really, in understanding our present day. Why is it the nation the size of something like New Jersey is so at the center of the world events? Well, because that is where God has a place, and his redemptive plan centers around the nation of Israel. Replacement theology is also known as supersessionism. It essentially teaches that the Church has replaced Israel in God's plan, and adherents of replacement theology believe that the Jewish people are no longer God's chosen people, and that God doesn't have a specific future plan for the nation of Israel. So replacement theology teaches basically that the Church has replaced Israel. And so many promises made to Israel in the Bible are now fulfilled in the Christian Church, not in Israel. 
So the reason it's wrong, James, is due to basically poor Bible interpretation, where adherents to this view take those prophecies in Scripture concerning the blessing and restoration of Israel to the Promised Land, and they basically spiritualize or allegorize them into promises of God's blessing for the Church. So if we read the Old Testament prophecies in their plain language and interpret them literally, we can come to no other conclusion that God is not done with the Jewish people. And I take a whole chapter, and I talk about Romans 9, 10, and 11, where in Romans 11, Paul clearly communicates that all Israel shall be saved. Mm -hmm. Well, James, you and I know that hasn't happened yet. It has to be future. Jewish Roots of Christianity features a great chapter on the tabernacle and the temple. Would you explain the types and shadows of Christ in the tabernacle and the temple? Well, again, I spend a whole chapter doing that, but here's just one taste. For example, regarding the tabernacle, there was only one entrance into the outer court of the tabernacle. There was only one entrance into the holy place, and how many entrances do you think there were into the Holy of Holies? That's correct, there was only one. Remember, Jesus said of himself in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. There's only one way to God as well. That's through the Son. That's through faith in the Son. Regarding the temple, the Apostle Paul called in 1 Corinthians, you and I as believers in Jesus Christ, we are called temples of the Holy Spirit. And so we spend a whole chapter talking about what types and shadows of Christ are and where we find them in the Old Testament tabernacle and temple and how they relate to the New Testament Christian today. Chapter 10 of The Jewish Roots of Christianity was a high point for me. You did an excellent job explaining the Old Testament prophecies that Jesus Christ fulfilled. Isn't it true that since Jesus fulfilled every prophecy of his first coming, we can be sure that he'll fulfill every prophecy of his second coming? Yes and amen, brother. Sure. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. One of the things we do in the book is we give a partial list of Messianic prophecies regarding the first coming of Jesus Christ, and then we share a little bit of the backstory. It's quite fascinating when you unpack some of the prophecies, for example, in Psalm 22, when David wrote that the Messiah would be pierced, that his hands and feet would be pierced. When he wrote that, crucifixion hadn't even been right. invented. And we unpack that, that it was the Persians four centuries later that actually invented crucifixion around the 6th century B.C. David penned that psalm around 1000 B.C., and the Romans obviously perfected crucifixion. So that's a really powerful backstory, and that's one example of a few that we give in the book. But yes, to your point, yeah, Jesus fulfilled every prophecy regarding the first coming of Messiah, so as his people we can have full and utmost confidence that he will in fact fulfill all those prophecies regarding his second coming, which is coming sooner than later, my brother. You write in Jewish Roots of Christianity, knowing the Lord isn't about your Jewishness or Gentileness, it's about your Jesusness. Now that's a great comment. Would you elaborate on that? Remember Paul wrote that in Christ there's neither Jew nor Gentile. In fact, we do a study in the book from Ephesians chapter 2, where Paul teaches that Christ has made one new man out of the two, namely Jews and Gentiles. And so studying types and shadows, I think, has great value for the Christian, and we do that in part in the book. But we must not be totally enamored with the types and shadows and forgetting the substance who is Christ. 
And so I like to tell people, look, it's not about how Jewish your external religiosity or observance may be, and it's not about your Gentileness or lack thereof. It's about your Jesusness. Do you know him? Because, you know, there's being a physical seed of Abraham, which I and all physical Jews are, but it's really not about that. It's about being spiritual seed of Abraham, which is to know and trust and follow the Messiah of Israel, who is Jesus. So I like to use that little pithy catchphrase to make a point. In fact, in one of my other books, Into the Gale, 12 Evangelistic Lessons from the Book of Acts, in that book I talk about the main obstacle to Christian unity in the first century was the Jewish-Gentile divide. I argue in that book that our present-day obstacle to Christian unity today in the 21st century is the denominational divide. But in the first century, it was the Jewish-Gentile divide, and that need not be the case today or on any day, that as believers, we are one together in Him, no matter our background. So I use that little pithy catchphrase that's kind of fun. We've been talking with author Larry Stamm about his great new book, Jewish Roots of Christianity, which is available by calling 1-800-652-1144. You can also order a copy online at swrc.com. Larry, it's been great to talk with you. The next time you're in town, I found a great new barbecue place for us to check out. James, can't wait. Thanks so much again for having me on the program. God bless you and the audience. Be sure and get the complete two-day conversation with Larry Stamm on CD by calling 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Pastor Larry is here to answer your Bible questions. First up today, Pastor Larry, is there such a thing as the universal church? You won't find the words, the universal church, in the Bible anymore then you will find the words Trinity or Rapture in the Bible. But the concept of the Trinity and the concept of the Rapture are taught in the Bible, as is the concept of the Universal Church. The Universal Church is the totality of born-again believers worldwide over whom Christ reigns as Lord and Savior. When the Apostle writes, there is one body, Ephesians 4.4, he is referring to the body of Christ, irrespective of denominational affiliation, race, color, and so on. If you are saved, you are part of the body of Christ. The local church is the local expression of the body of Christ, such as the church at Corinth, the church at Philippi, and so on. The New Testament has a lot to say about the local church. The letters of the Apostle Paul were written primarily to local churches that were dealing with various issues and problems. Christians should be part of a local church. The New Testament does not teach a Lone Ranger Christianity. We are to gather together with other believers for worship and mutual edification. Hebrews chapter 10, 24 and 25 says, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as ye see the day approaching. While being part of a local church is certainly not necessary for being saved, it is necessary if you are going to be a joyful and witnessy Christian. Unfortunately, many people who are saved at rallies and mass crusades never attend a local church. This is so sad. 
They never grow up spiritually. For all intents and purposes, they are of little use to Christ and his kingdom. Thanks, Pastor Larry. If you have a Bible question for Pastor Larry, just email him, askpastorlarry at swrc.com. That's askpastorlarry at swrc.com. Our next question, Pastor Larry, is foot washing a perpetually binding ordinance? Well, I don't believe so. In John 13, verses 13 through 15, Jesus said, Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Some churches practice foot washing today as an ordinance. Others do not. In 1 Corinthians 11:26, we read, For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. The Lord's Supper is to be done in remembrance of the Lord Jesus till he come. However, there is no such command with regard to foot washing. The original setting of John 13 was the Passover meal. It was an old covenant ceremony. The Lord's Supper has replaced the Passover meal. The Passover meal is now spiritualized according to 1 Corinthians 5, 7 and 8. It says, For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. The incident in John 13 is not, properly speaking, a worship service, but a Passover meal. In order to follow this literally, we should not just practice foot washing, but also the observing of the Passover meal. But is observing the Passover meal and foot washing mandated by the scripture? You can see where all of this is leading. Foot washing in the first century was necessitated by circumstances. In the ancient world, men wore sandals fastened with leather thongs. The highway system was primitive, meaning dusty in dry weather and muddy in wet. Their feet were often covered with dust and mud, and with the result of animal traffic, i.e. dung. They ate in a semicircle in a reclining position. One person's feet would be near another person's face. We really don't have that situation today. Some things in the Bible have to be understood in light of an ancient practice and cultural settings. There are some important principles that can be applied to today's setting, however, but the passage only makes sense in terms of the cultural setting. Scripture may be defined as the word of God given in the words of men. Scripture is inerrant and infallible, yet it bears marks of humanity. It was given in the languages of the day. The import of our Lord's teaching in John 13 is humility. What matters is that Christians practice humility that shows itself in love and Christian service. True greatness shows itself by serving others in ways that far exceed the washing of someone's feet. In our Resource Center today, we are excited to offer Larry Stam's brand new book, Jewish Roots of Christianity. In Jewish Roots of Christianity, a biblical survey of redemptive history from Genesis to Revelation, Larry Stamm, a first-generation Holocaust survivor and Jewish follower of Jesus, introduces such topics as the gospel in the Old Testament, how the Feast of Israel point to the person and work of Messiah Jesus, the historical interaction between biblical Judaism and New Testament faith, 
This book is an excellent resource for your personal Bible study, as well as your local Sunday school or homeschool classes. Get Jewish Roots of Christianity today for a gift of $20 or more when you call 1-800-652-1144 or order this brand new book online, swrc.com. And when you order Jewish Roots of Christianity, be sure and get Larry Stamm's other books, Into the Gale and Serving in His Court. You can get all three books for a gift of $50 or more when you call 1-800-652-1144. Tomorrow, Billy Crone is here to expose the subliminal seduction that is all around us. Watchmen on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com.